Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 16. We, um, um, well, let me ask this question. How many of you were here with us this morning? Okay, a number of you. How many of you were not here this morning? Maybe that's a better way to tell. It looked like just about as many either way. Okay, um, I'm going to um, to share some things this evening that uh, kind of tie into some things that uh, that I said this morning. We used um, Matthew chapter 16 as a uh, uh, one of the scriptures that we talked about this morning in uh, teaching on the subject of reigning in life. But um, but I really wanted to uh, to go a little bit further and talk about specifically uh, how this applies where sickness is concerned. Uh, I want to talk to you about having authority over sickness. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They've been with him for um, almost three years of his ministry, not quite three, about two and a half maybe. But they've been with him for a long time. They've seen signs and wonders and miracles. They've seen um, a variety of things that he's done. They've witnessed the power of God in operation. And in verse 13 it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked of his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist has been beheaded several chapters ago, probably about a year, year and a half uh, before that point in time. So some say that you're John the Baptist. I guess that means they think he was raised from the dead. Some say that you're Elijah. Now, Elijah lived back in uh, 700 B.C., so he'd been dead for a long, long time. And you remember the story of Elijah's home going, how that he did not die physically, but that the Lord caught him up in a chariot. And Elisha witnessed that and, and saw the, the chariots of fire and the horsemen thereof and, and so forth. So some people are thinking that he's come back to, uh, uh, to proclaim. Uh, well, the Bible, the Old Testament speaks of Elijah coming back to proclaim the Messiah's coming, which Jesus said John the Baptist fulfilled. But I guess some people are thinking that he's Jesus is uh, Elijah come to, to be the forerunner of the Christ. And it, still others said that he was Jeremiah or one of the other prophets of the Old Testament. But then he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? In other words, okay, now we know what other people are saying. What do you say? I think it's interesting that he asked first, who do other people say that I am, before he asked them, what do, what do you think about it, or who do you say that I am? Because uh, to me at least, it uh, at least presents the possibility of, um, uh, of Jesus trying to identify to what degree do the things that other people say affect you and your belief. And that's a question for all of us. Who do you say that he is? Well, the church has got some different answers for that. The church world at large has some different answers for that. Some people say, he, yes, he's Jesus, he's the Son of God, but he's not the same as he was when he was here on the earth. He healed when he was here on the earth, but now that doesn't work that way now. And still others will take what other people say, whether they're theologians or preachers, or laymen, or whoever, and build their ideas or their beliefs on what other people say instead of what Jesus said about himself or what the Bible tells us about him. So Jesus asked both ways. He said, who do other, what, are, what are other people saying about me, first of all? And then he said, but who do you say I am? Okay, you know what other people have said. Now who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks up and says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let me stop there for a minute and talk about that for just a few moments. As I said, these guys have seen, all these disciples, Peter included, the one that spoke up for the group, and, and I read this, you tell me if you see it a different way, but I read this as Peter speaking on behalf of the group. Not just Peter answering, here's what I think. I think Peter is answering for the group. And if somebody didn't agree then it would seem to me that the Holy Ghost would have shown us that they spoke up and said, well, now, wait a minute, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm still on the fence about that. I don't know. But Peter seems to be speaking for the group. Well, who is this group? This group is the one that watched him turn water into wine. They've seen him walk on the water. They've seen him heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. They've seen miracles in front of their eyes. The same miracles that the other people that are saying these, John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets, have heard about. Maybe some of them they've witnessed too. But they've all heard about them at, at the very least. And yet Jesus says to Peter's response, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, you're not saying this because you've seen something or there's been some natural response or natural experience that's caused you to come to that conclusion. That's what he means by flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. 
He's saying very specifically, you don't believe this because of what you've seen. You believe this because of something God the Father has revealed to you from within. And folks, that's where the answer of who Jesus is has got to come from. You can say, well, Pastor so-and-so said Jesus is this. Or this group over here says Jesus is that. But the question is, what has God revealed to you about who Jesus is? And that's the only question that people are going to be judged by when the end comes. That's the only thing that can, call, that can make the difference between somebody going to hell or going to heaven. It's who do you say Jesus is. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you, have you ever told a lie? You're not going to have to answer, thank God, we won't have to answer, or did we do this right or did we do that wrong? There's only one question, and that is, who is Jesus to you? Because if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he's made you a new creature on the inside. If that's for your position, and you believe that, and you've confessed Jesus as your Lord, then he's made you a new creature. And that's the only difference between heaven and hell, or the people that go to heaven versus the people that go to hell. The people that go to heaven aren't better than the people that go to hell. They just accept Jesus. Now, accepting Jesus should make you better than you were before you knew him, if you live by the word. But it's still on Jesus, nothing else. So he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, folks, I'm, this is so important because who Jesus is to you is a result of who God reveals him in your heart. Now, with that, having said that, let me make sure you don't think that I'm saying, well, the problem is God's. It's all God's responsibility. If God doesn't show you anything about Jesus as being your healer, then you're off the hook. No. It's up to you to identify from the Bible, the information that the Bible gives us, who does the Bible say or who does God's word say that Jesus is? And do I believe what God said? That's what he's getting across to Peter. He said, my father, which is in heaven, has revealed this. Well, what has God the father revealed to us? Everything the New Testament says about Jesus. Now, that has to become real to you from within. But the only way that becomes real to you is for you to take that information from the letters written to the church And meditate on those things until they can become a part of your heart. And then he goes further. He says in verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock. Certainly Peter is not the rock. Peter is not the the foundation of the church. The rock that he's talking about is the knowledge that Jesus is the son of God. Upon this rock. This truth. That Jesus is the son of the living God. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We talked about this a little bit this morning. And for those of you that were here, forgive me for repeating myself. But it's important for the people that weren't here to hear this. What is a gate? Notice Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's his responsibility to build the church. Not any man's, not mine, not any other man's. Jesus' responsibility to build the church. I'm glad it's his responsibility because I have no clue how to do it. I know how to do what he told me to do. And that's a part of what he does to build the church, but it goes a lot further than any one man or what anybody can do. But he said that the gates of hell, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Most of the church world has this idea that the devil is pressing in on you and me and all the other believers, and we're trying to hold out until Jesus comes back. Yet the picture that Jesus paints is just the opposite. The picture that Jesus paints is the church moving forward and the gates, a gate is an entrance, it's a weak part of a wall. You don't have a gate sitting out in the middle of nowhere. A gate is an entrance to a boundary of a wall or a fence or something like that. And so it indicates that there is a territory that's trying to be protected, either to keep people from getting in or to keep people from getting out. Prisons try to keep people out. Walls try to keep people from getting in. Well, in the same way, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples, he said, occupy till I come. Occupy means to take hold of territory. In other words, he's not saying, now sit still and just hold out. Just wait because I'm coming back. He said, occupy. In other words, press forward and take territory. Well, what territory? The devil's territory. Take back everything that the devil took when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. Now, I thought Jesus did that, though, when he died on the cross. He did. But just because Jesus destroyed the devil's power doesn't mean everybody's free. Remember the story in, uh, in Acts chapter 16 where it says uh, Paul and, uh, and Silas were in jail. And uh, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. 
You remember the story? And suddenly there was an earthquake and, and everybody's chains fell off their hands and everybody's stocks fell off their feet. Everybody's prison door fell open. Everybody is now free, but nobody moved. The jailer was concerned. He thought, oh, no, everybody's escaped. He saw the doors open and stuff, uh, which, by the way, is an interesting thing. The earthquake was just in the jail, not in town. Because if it had been a citywide earthquake, he wouldn't have been concerned about the jail. He'd have been concerned about his family at home. But he sees that the prison doors are open. It's just an earthquake at the jail. In other words, God in some way, maybe an angel, whatever, I don't know, but in some way shook that building and knocked everybody's prison doors open. I didn't know that earthquakes opened prison doors. Everybody's chains fell off their hand. That's not a normal activity from earthquakes either. And everybody's feet that were in stocks, those stocks fell off. Now tell me how an earthquake does that. We're not talking about a natural circumstance. We're not talking about an earthquake like we have here in California. We're talking about God doing a supernatural work. Well, the jailer must seem to recognize something weird is going on because he sees everybody's doors open and he says, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Why would he get in trouble for this? But he's going to be held responsible. So he pulls out his sword and he's about to kill himself. I might as well kill myself before the Roman soldiers, my, my supervisors kill me. And Paul calls out and says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. What are they still doing there? Now, folks, I'm not sure that this is what this story in the Bible is supposed to indicate, but it's a real good example. A lot of Christians have been set free, but they're still sitting in jail. A lot of people have been set free by the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Yet they're still in jail. They're still in bondage to sickness. They're still in bondage to poverty. They're still in bondage to to sin in their lives. Not because Jesus hasn't done the job to forgive or to erase sin. He did. Not because Jesus hasn't done the job to, to pay the price for sickness because he did. Not because Jesus hasn't done the work to pay the price for lack or poverty in this world. Because he did. But since he did, why are so many people bound by sin, sickness, and poverty? The biggest reason is they don't know it's theirs. They don't know what belongs to them. It hasn't become real to them. Even if they've heard it, it hasn't become real to them from within, like the Father revealing to Peter who Jesus is. It hasn't become real to them from within. This is what's mine. And the only way that comes is by reading and meditating in the Word of God. That's the only way it comes. So when Jesus said, occupy till I come, he's saying, take back that territory. Don't stay bound to things Jesus paid the price for. Don't stay in prisons that Jesus opened the doors for you to be free from. Now, the picture that Jesus paints is the church moving forward and the gates of hell trying to stop us. In other words, you trying to take hold of this healing that Jesus paid for, but the devil trying to hold out against you. And that's what one translation says, and the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. Berkeley's translation says that. I like that. Because I see the picture now of the church pushing on the devil's territory, pushing on the gates of hell, and those gates straining and holding and struggling to try to keep us out of territory that Jesus has already purchased. Amen? See what he's saying? Upon the knowledge that I am the son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell, the devil's boundaries... His attempt at keeping you in bondage will not hold out against the church. Now, folks, the church is not a church building. The church is you. So when it says it shall not hold out against the church, it means it can't hold out against you. You're the church. God provides us buildings just because we need them for places to meet and stuff like that. But you're the church. The church building is not the church. The people of God is the church. So the gates of hell can't hold out against you. I wouldn't do you a disservice to stay here all night keep, and keep saying that. Because you're the one that's moving forward, not the devil. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, it doesn't seem like I'm moving forward because I've tried to rebuke sickness in my body and it hasn't gone. That's why Jesus said... The gates of hell or the devil's work in any way, whatever you want to define that. Sickness in this context. Sickness can't hold out against you. 
That means the only way sicknesses can win is for you to give up. Which is exactly what people do. They try to take authority. They try to exercise authority. They'll hear some sermon on uh, exercising authority in the name of Jesus. And they'll say, I take authority over sickness in the name of Jesus. And nothing happens tomorrow. Or maybe they get worse tomorrow. And the devil's right there whispering in their ear saying, well, see, that doesn't work. And then they come up with all kinds of excuses for why it doesn't work. Well, maybe it works for other people, but it just doesn't work for me because I'm such an unworthy Christian. We're always first and foremost to point the finger at ourselves because that's where the devil tries to point us toward. Or some people will say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. So I guess that healing stuff just doesn't belong to us today like it did when Jesus was here. Either way, you're giving up. And the only way sickness can hold out against you is for you to give up. Let me prove it to you. Jesus is talking about the church prevailing over the devil and all of his works. Remember 1 John uh, chapter 3 verse 8. It says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifest. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works, plural, works of the devil. Not works singular, not just sin. Works, plural. So, what did Jesus do when he was here on the earth? He showed us what the devil's works were. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. What do we know there? He forgave sin. What do we know there from the devil's works? We know that Jesus always did the works of the Father, which means sin is the devil's work, sickness is the devil's work, poverty is the devil's work, Demonic oppression is the devil's work. And Jesus destroyed all of those things while he was here on the earth, even before he went to the cross. Hold your finger here. We're going to come back to this. We're not finished with this. But turn with me over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Here's an example of Jesus destroying the works of the devil and doing the Father's work. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, I only do the things that I see and hear my Father do. I only do the things that I see my Father do. I only say the things I hear my Father say. In other words, Jesus said, I don't do anything in and of myself. Now that does away with the idea, whether you want to accept it or not, it does away with the idea that the church has that Jesus did his works here on the earth to prove that he was the Son of God. He said that wasn't true. He said, I'm not doing anything of myself. In other words, I'm not doing anything to prove myself. I only do what the Father does. I only do what, I only say what the Father says. In other words, my words are the Father's words. My works are the Father's works. He didn't do anything to prove himself. Well, if Jesus wasn't here to prove himself, what was he here to do? For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was here for one purpose, and that was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what the cross was all about, because that was the ultimate, that was the death blow to death. That was the death blow to Satan and his works. That opened the prison doors. That was the spiritual earthquake for all of mankind to rip everybody's prison doors open, but whether you come out of prison or not is up to you. John chapter 9. And Jesus passed by. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, the fact that he's called a man tells us that he's going to be recognized to be somewhere in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. He's been blind all of his life. He was born that way. Not an injury. This was blind from birth. Okay? Got it? He's been suffering from this condition for a long time. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, you've got to give the disciples credit for one thing. They've been walking with Jesus for a long time. They've seen Jesus do healing works. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him do signs and wonders and so forth. They know that the source of blindness, which is representative of all sickness, is sin. They just don't know who's sin. They did not ask, why did God make this man this way? Now, that's the general idea that most of the church world comes up with by reading this story. God made him blind. That's not their question. They did not say, why did God make this man blind? Why did God make this, cause this man to be born blind? That's not their question. Their question is, whose sin is the problem? That's their question. Who sinned? Was it the man's sin? Well, that'd be hard to explain. How does a man sin before he's born? If he had been born 
with sight and lost his sight, then you might come up with a justification or some kind of explanation. Wouldn't be right, but you tried to come up with a justification for, okay, well, here's what he did wrong and here's why this came on him. But that's not the case with him. He was born blind. And that's why the Bible tells us that he was born blind. So their question is, whose sin is the problem? They know sin is the problem. They just don't know whose. Can you see that? Whose sin caused this problem? Was it the man's sin or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus answered. Remember their question. Their question is, whose sin is the problem? Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. That's the answer. That's the only thing they've asked. Whose sin caused him to be born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Jesus said it wasn't his sin and it wasn't his parents' sin. That's the answer to their question. Now Jesus speaks further about the work that God sent him to do. But that this man, but that the works of God, excuse me, that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. So he's talking about two things. He's answering their question. Wasn't his sin, wasn't his parents' sin, but I'm here to do the works of him that sent me. Now the church world reads this and the translators don't help us any. As a matter of fact, the way the translators put the punctuation in lends the idea that most of the church world has grabbed hold of that Jesus is saying it wasn't a man's sin and it wasn't his parents' sin, but God made him blind so that I could have somebody to heal when I came by this way. That's the way I was taught this growing up in church. And they taught it from both angles. They taught it from the standpoint that God's mercy healed him. And, of course, Jesus did that when he was here on the earth to prove that he was the Son of God. doesn't work that way now, but Jesus was trying to prove that he was the Son of God, number one. And number two, sometimes God brings sickness into your life, and we don't know why. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? If God made this man blind and Jesus heals him, isn't Jesus working contrary to God's plan? Isn't Jesus destroying the works of the Father? Rather than the works of the devil? Isn't he? So let me put punctuation in there for you. The original text has no punctuation. Translators put the punctuation in. Translators put the verse designations and chapter designations in there. So let me tell you what I believe is consistent with what the Bible tells us about the character and the nature of God. The question, who sinned? This man or his parents? The disciples know that much. They know sin is the problem. They just don't know who's sin. Jesus says, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Before we go further, let me ask this. If, it's not, if sin is the problem, and they're right about that, and it's not the man's sin and it's not his parents' sin, then who did sin? Adam. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and that's what opened the door to sin, sickness, and disease, and everything else that the devil does in this world. It opened the door to the works of Satan in this earth. Up until that point, man had authority here on the earth, not the devil. But when man disobeyed, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, that's when we see all the effects of sin and death coming upon mankind. Sickness was not in the world prior to the fall. How do we know? Because the Bible is very specific about what God made in the first six days. On the seventh day, it says he rested. That literally means he put an end to everything that he made. That means if God didn't make sickness within the first six days, God's not the author or the creator of sickness. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, you'll find out it is not listed in the first six days. And as a matter of fact, there is no sickness present. And God looks at it at the end of the sixth day and said, this is very good. God's attitude is, it's very good to be absent from sickness. An existence without sickness, in God's estimation, is very good. Now, I know the church doesn't agree, but that's what God said. He looked at the earth that was void of sickness and disease or anything that could hurt or harm mankind in any way. There was no lack. There were more trees than Adam could sit under. There was more fruit than he could eat. More grass than he could walk barefoot under and more clouds in the sky than he could count. God's a God of an abundance. And God said, it's very good. God made the whole earth with two people in it. And yet people treat God like he's El Cheapo. Well, I just don't, maybe he doesn't want me to have much. He made the whole earth for man. 
He made everything for Adam before he ever, he made it and, and filled it before he ever put man in the middle of it. So whose sin is it? If it's not the man's sin, if it's not his parents' sin, then whose sin is it? It's Adam's sin. This man was born blind because Adam sinned. And that opened the door to sin and sickness and disease and every other work of the devil that came upon mankind. Sin is the problem, but it's not always personal sin. It is sometimes, but even that's rare. Well, I don't know if rare is the right word. Um, It's not as often as people think that it is. I know that. How do we know? Well, James chapter 5, verse 15. Is there any sick among you? Let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins. doesn't say, and since he's committed sins, and that's why he's sick. It says, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Same prayer of faith that heals the sick forgives the sin. How hard is it to pray the prayer of faith for God to forgive sin? It's easy. How easy is it then to pray the prayer of faith to be healed? It's easy if you know what the Bible says. So, who sinned? Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. Now he goes on to tell him what he's about to do. But that the works of him, the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying the works of God are going to be made manifest in him, not by him being blind, but by what I'm about to do. What does Jesus do? He heals him. So what are the works of God in this situation? Healing. You can't interpret that any other way. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, see, God made him sick and then he made him well. That's impossible. The Bible says God is good. He's only good. He's the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights, with whom there is no variableness. That means he can't be making people sick and healing them too. There is no variableness in him. He's doing one or the other. He can't be doing both. There's no variableness in him. Neither is there any shadow of turning. There's not even the hint that he could be making people sick and healing them both. Not even the hint. So whichever one you choose, whatever you say about Jesus, for you, whoever he is, either the one that makes you sick or the one that heals, that's your choice, but it can't be both. It's impossible. Furthermore, Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who, talking about Jesus, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's telling us that everybody Jesus healed was sick because of the devil's oppression. Does that include John chapter 9, blind man? Absolutely. So whose sin caused the problem? Adam's sin. Who made this man blind? The devil. Who's going to work the works of God? Jesus. What are the works of God? Healing. It's really simple when you accept the Bible to be true. Now, folks, the disciples know this. The disciples don't have the question, wait a minute, is this guy sick because God made him sick? Or because the devil made him sick? He, they recognize sin is the problem. They didn't know whose sin. But they know that sin is the problem. Well, who's the author of sin? The devil is the originator of sin. They just didn't track back far enough. They thought it either went to the man or the fathers, uh, the parents before him. It went back many more generations before that. And that's what Jesus is saying. So what does Jesus do? Jesus heals the guy. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me. Well, what works does he do? He heals the guy. So what do we know from this? We know Jesus has authority over sickness. He doesn't say, but that I may work the works of him that sent me, I need to go fast and pray for a few days. First of all, I need to pray and find out what is God's will in this situation. Do you ever see Jesus stop when somebody comes to him for healing? Do you ever see Jesus stop and say, I'm going to have to pray about this and find out what God wants? Never. Why? Because he always knows that it's the will of God to heal. It's always God's will to heal. Always. Jesus never has to pray to the Father to see, Father, is it your will for them to be well? Because he's sent for one purpose, and that is to destroy the works of the devil, and sickness is always a work of the devil. 
That'd be like Jesus telling the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then somebody coming to you and say, would you tell me about Jesus? And they say, well, I'm not sure. I need to pray and find out if God wants me to tell you. He just sent you to the whole world. That would include everybody in it. In the same way, Jesus was sent to show the works of God to the world. So when anybody sick came to Jesus, he automatically knows the work of God in their situation is healing. Automatically. Folks, this all has to do with who do you say Jesus is. This is what the disciples know. They know that healing is always the will of God. Now, they had to stumble through some things, and there were some times where they couldn't make it work, just like some people can't make things work, or it seems that they can't make some things work. At least it doesn't work the way that they think that it should. And so there were some th- things that they still had to learn following this and after this point. But healing is always the will of God. Always. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 16 now. Verse 18, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell represents all the works of the devil. In our context tonight, let's say sickness. And sickness shall not prevail against the church. Who's the church? You. And sickness shall not prevail against you. Sickness shall not be able to hold out against you. He didn't say sickness might not. He didn't say, now, if you do everything just right, boy, I mean, it's, it's a real fine line you have to walk. You've got to say just the right things. You've got to think just the right things. And, boy, if you ever mess up, it's over. That's not the way that God works. God's a God of second chances. Even if you have messed up, you can go back and pick right up where you were. And if you do, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Now, verse 19, and I will give unto you the keys of, literally the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, the keys, don't, don't put the keys in the gate together. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are not the keys to the gates of hell. The keys to the kingdom of heaven don't unlock the gates of hell. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1 when he appeared to John, He said, I am he that was dead, and I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus did not give the keys of hell and death to the church. That's why Jesus stood before John and said, I've got them. Well, if if he's got the keys of hell and death, and he didn't give them to us, what did he give us? He gave you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He gave you the keys to unlock all that he purchased for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I think it is, it says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Every blessing, every spiritual blessing there is, and every blessing there is starts spiritually. Healing is a spiritual blessing that when taken hold of by faith manifests in the natural realm. Financial provision is a spiritual blessing that when taken hold of manifests in the natural realm. But everything you have, everything Jesus did is a spiritual blessing. That means it originates in spirit, not in the natural. The keys to the kingdom of heaven unlock those spiritual blessings so that they can manifest in this natural realm. So he says, and I will give unto you the keys of, or literally to, the kingdom of heaven. And what are those keys supposed to do? How are we supposed to use those keys? And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The word bind means to refuse, to allow, to prohibit, or to forbid. He said, whatever you refuse to allow on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, whatever you prohibit here on the earth will be prohibited in heaven. Whatever you forbid here on the earth shall be forbidden in heaven. Now stop and think about what that means. Again, let's stay with the context of sickness and healing. If you forbid sickness in your life, how is sickness forbidden in heaven? Is God saying, whatever you don't allow here, I won't allow there? Yeah, he's saying exactly that. But he's not talking about whether there's going to be sickness in heaven or not. He's saying, whatever you take a stand on for what you will allow or what you will not allow, heaven will back you up. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The word loose just simply means to allow. 
So what is he saying? He's saying the keys to the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost, come down to what will you allow in your life? Now, folks, Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus paid the price for sickness. Jesus paid the price for material provision. Those are paid for. He's not coming back to the cross or coming back to Pilate's court and taking another stripe on his back to heal you. It's done. It's finished. The work is done. That's why he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't sit down until the work's done. It's done. The question is, what are you going to allow? This is how Jesus builds the church. This is what determines whether or not sickness will hold out or prevail against you. For you to take a position of what you will or will not allow. The forces of heaven are at your beck and call. All you have to do is decide, this is what I will not allow, this is what I will allow. If you say, I will not allow sickness in my life, then all heaven backs you up. The angels stand up and they're out in force to help you have or receive in this natural realm the spiritual blessing of healing. But if you say, well, I don't know, I just don't know about this healing stuff. I guess sometimes there's just things we can't explain. Then you've just said, I'll allow it. That may not be what you meant to say, but that's what you're saying. You're saying, I allow it, and all of heaven folds their wings, the angels of heaven fold their wings and say, there's nothing we can do. Because notice it does not originate in heaven, it originates here on the earth. In both cases, prohibiting or allowing, in both cases, it starts here. Whatever you prohibit or bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose or allow on earth shall be allowed in heaven. You decide what part of heaven you're going to have here on the earth. You decide what part of the finished work of Jesus you will receive. You decide that, not God. God decided when he paid the price through Jesus for all of it. He's made his will known through the word of God. He's made his will known through what the Bible informs us about the price that Jesus paid. His work is done. His will is identified. We know what he wants. The question is, what will you have? And folks, it goes back to the same thing that Jesus said about who do you say I am. If somebody says Jesus is not the son of God, it doesn't change the fact that he is. But it does change the fact that he is for them. So whatever you bind on earth, whatever you refuse to allow, heaven will back you up. Whatever you allow, heaven's bound to accept your decision. Your will is king in your life. Now, if you submit your will to his, and by that I mean if you accept in life what the Bible says Jesus has purchased for you, that's aligning your will with the Father's just like Jesus aligned his will with his Father. That would be saying the same thing as Jesus. I only do what I see in the word that God does. I only say from the word what God says. That's the way Jesus lived. That's the example he's setting for us. In that sense, you're forbidding everything that the Bible says we should forbid. We're allowing everything that Jesus has done for us. That puts the forces of heaven on our side rather than us arrayed against heaven. But if you do that, back to verse 18, if you do that, the forces of hell cannot prevail against you. Sickness cannot prevail against you. The only thing that can cause sickness to win in your life is you giving up. Because to prevail means a struggle. It means an ongoing thing. You know what we like to do? We like to take the instant healings. We look at the, the examples of Jesus and where people were healed instantly. We say, yeah, that's real healing. But that's not what Jesus said about building the church. He did not say, upon the knowledge that I'm the son of the living God, shall I build my church and the gates of hell shall instantly fall down before you. He didn't say the gates of hell shall fall like the walls of Jericho. He didn't say that. He said they won't hold out against you. That means you keep the pressure on them and eventually they cave in. That's what most people aren't willing to do. They aren't willing to fight the good fight of faith. And that's what that is. The good fight of faith is you keeping the pressure on the devil rather than the devil pressuring you. 
The good fight of faith is you, through the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, acting in line with what the Bible says, refusing to allow what the Bible says Jesus paid for, or paid for you not to have. That's the fight of faith. And folks, it is a fight. How many people do you know, maybe how many situations have you experienced in your own life, Where you took authority over something or tried to take authority over something and it didn't work and instantly you thought, well, I guess that doesn't work for me after all. What is that? That's the devil trying to get you to give up so he can prevail. Because if you don't give up, he can't prevail. Brother Hagin told a story. There was a certain period of time, this was early in his ministry. He said that the Lord appeared to him in, uh, in one of the visions that he appeared to him. He said that, um, that the Lord spoke to him and he said, from this time forward, uh, discerning of spirits is going to operate in your, in your ministry. He said, when you lay hands on somebody, he said, lay hands on one side of their head, one hand on one side of their head and the other hand on the other side of their head. He said, when you feel that anointing, the healing anointing that he gave him, that he had given him, he said, when you feel that jump from hand to hand, he said, you'll know that that's the presence of an evil spirit. That only worked that way for a couple of years. And after that, it started to work in a, in a more advanced manner. But Brother Hagin said that during that, uh, that period of time when it was working that way, he said there was a guy that came up in the healing line and uh, in the church he was ministering in. And this guy was, uh, there was something wrong with him. I don't know if it was arthritis or whatever it was, but there was something wrong with his back where he couldn't bend over. And so he was real stiff. He was kind of hunkered over, I guess, like this rather than standing up straight. And um, so he laid hands on him just like he did everybody else. He laid hands on him and he felt that, that healing anointing jump from hand to hand. And so he knew it was the presence of an evil spirit. So Brother Hagin just very simply, very calmly, didn't make a big deal about it, just said, Satan, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus, and I command you to go. Turn this man loose in Jesus' name. Amen. And then he said to the man, now, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. The guy tried to bend over, couldn't do anything. First time this had never had worked. Kind of bothered Brother Hagin a little bit. He backed up, and he thought, uh, I've never had this not work before. I mean, here's a supernatural way that Jesus gave him to minister, and now it's not working. So he thought, okay, um, well, come back up here. So he laid hands on him again, one side on one hand on one side of the head, the other hand, the other hand on the other side of his head, felt it jump back and forth just like it did before. So he said, Satan, I told you to go in the name of Jesus. Leave his body now. Turn him loose. Backed up, and he said, now see if you can bend over and touch your toes. Didn't work. He did this three times, and it didn't work. And Brother Hagin said, uh, well, okay. Um, praise the Lord. Thank God his word's true. And he said he went on to pray for somebody else. And all the time he's saying, Lord, I, on the inside of him, he's arguing about this with the Lord and saying, I don't understand. I don't get this. It, it didn't work. I, I don't understand. He said that he was just about to lay hands on the next person down the line. Or maybe it already had. Maybe he was already praying for somebody else while he was speaking to the Lord on the inside. And he said, all of a sudden, he's caught up into a cloud. He said, I have no knowledge of what was going on, whether I prayed for anybody else or not. I don't know. don't know if I said anything to anybody. Because all of a sudden, I'm standing before Jesus. And Jesus is looking at him with daggers. He said it was like lightning bolts was coming out of his eyes. And he said, I told you. Here's what Jesus said to Brother Hagin. He said, I told you that when you laid your hand on the side of somebody, you know, both sides of somebody's head, if you felt that anointing jump from hand to hand, that it was the presence of an evil spirit, and that when you told him to go, he would go. And Brother Hagin said, well, Jesus, I did that. I told him to go, and he didn't go. Jesus said the second time, I told you that when you laid hands on somebody and put your hands on both sides of their head, you felt that anointing jump from hand to hand, that's the presence of an evil spirit, you tell him to go, and he'll go. Brother Hagin said the same time, Lord, I, I, I did exactly what you said, and he didn't go. And he said there were like lightning flashes coming out of Jesus' eyes. He said, I've never seen him mad like that. I don't think you'd want to see that maybe but once. But anyway, he said it was like lightning bolts coming out of his eyes, and Jesus stomped his foot and said, I said he would, and disappeared. Well, now you tell me, what do you do with that? I know the end of the story, and you may have heard me tell the end of the story. But what would you do with that? He said, Brother Hagin, all of a sudden, he's back, in the, he's back in the church. Jesus is gone. I'm back where I was before. And he said, like a flash, I saw it. He said, this little guy is, is going back down the aisle. Hadn't even made it, you know, three or four rows back down the aisle. He stops and says, you, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come back up here. 
Gets this little fellow, this older fellow to come back up, scoots back up to the front. And he jumps down and grabs hold of him and lays his hands on both sides of his head. And he said, Satan, come out of him in the name of Jesus and turn loose of his body. And then he said, then he pointed to the man and he said, now bend over and touch your toes in Jesus' name. Did you catch the difference? First two times, maybe three times, he said, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. The last time, when Jesus stomped his foot and said, I said he'd go. That's when he took authority over the thing and said, bend over and touch your toes in Jesus' name. Well, you know the end of the story. The guy bends over. He can touch his toes. He's completely free until the time, up until the moment that he bent over to act on what Brother Hagin told him to do. That was still stiffness there. There was still the same problem that he came up with. But as soon as he acted on the word of God, he was free. He started running around, running circles around that church. Brother Hagin said that broke that meeting open. They went for three or four weeks in that town and got almost the whole town saved. Now, what made the difference? Well, we could say revelation made the difference. Brother Hagin gained a revelation about how it was supposed to work. But let's go a little bit further than that. What really made the difference? What made the difference is Brother Hagin went from, okay, let's see if this works. See if there's physical results or physical evidence to prove what Jesus said is true as opposed to Jesus said it, now do it. And folks, that's the way it works where sickness is concerned. You can cuddle up with sickness because it hurts so bad. And I don't mean to make fun of this. I understand. I know what it is where you can't control things. I know what it is to take authority over something and it get worse or certainly not get better. I understand that. I've had the same experience. But the question is, does it change? Does the circumstance, whether it improved or got worse, does that change the truth of what God's word says? You know what the number one question I get as a pastor regarding sickness and healing? The number one question I get is, Pastor Mike, could you tell me what I'm doing wrong? And I'll ask every time, what makes you think you're doing something wrong? And the answer is always the same. They'll say, well, I prayed, but I haven't seen any results. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I prayed, but I'm seeing if I can bend over and it's not working. Do you understand what I mean by that? Going back to the man's example in Brother Hagin's ministry, I'm seeing if something's changed and it hadn't happened yet. So I must be doing something wrong because in their thinking, if it works, it's going to be an instant result like we had in Jesus' ministry. Well, Jesus didn't get everybody healed instantly in the first place. The ten lepers were healed as they went. Why is that? Did Jesus have a bad day? Was he low on power? Did he have a big healing meeting the day before and, you know, he was just kind of depleted? Why were they healed as they went? And why didn't Jesus get upset when he told them to go show themselves to the priest and they weren't instantly healed? Why didn't Jesus say, wait a minute, what is going on here? That's what we do. We pray and if we don't get instant results, we think, well, there must be something wrong. Well, I wonder if Jesus said, Father, those ten lepers weren't instantly healed. Am I doing something wrong? How stupid. Yet that's what we do. Why? Because we think if it works, it's going to give an instant result. And you don't find instant results all the time. Jesus is not talking about instant results. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail, shall not be able to hold out against you. The, the example Jesus gives is the church putting pressure on the devil's territory and the devil caving. So here's the question. How long are you willing to hold out? Well, I'll give it a week. Pastor Mike, you pray for me tonight. And if it's not by next Sunday, then I'm going to have to find out what's wrong. What makes somebody think something's wrong because they haven't gotten results yet? Or they can't see results yet? That's really what we're talking about. We're talking about what you can see. What makes you think something's wrong because you can't see results? Well, shouldn't I see results sometimes? Yeah. There'll come a point where the gates of hell can't prevail against you. The question is, are you keeping up the pressure on your end? Well, how do I do that, Pastor Mike? Well, the Bible says, Jesus said, concerning the operation of faith, he said, you'll have what you say. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, to hold fast the profession of your faith. 
without wavering, for he, God, is faithful that promised. It goes on in verse, uh, that's verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It goes on in verse 35 and says, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. That word confidence is the same word for faith. Don't cast away your faith. What does that mean? That means keep saying what the Bible says. Because that's what brings the reward. That has great recompense of reward. If we're talking about confessing healing, then that brings great recompense of healing as a reward. It's easy to get frustrated, isn't it? Let's just feel bad for each other for a moment. It's just so easy to get discouraged. Let's just take 30 seconds and cry together. Lord, we've tried. Oh, God, we've tried. It's just so hard. Okay, is time up yet? What does that change anything? Folks, I'm not trying to be hard about this. Because believe it or not, I do have feelings. At least some of the same feelings other people have. Maybe not all, but I've got some. Your feelings have no bearing on it whatsoever. You can feel good or you can feel bad, and the word's true either way. You can feel good or you can feel bad, and Jesus paid the price for your sickness either way. You can feel good, up, encouraged, or you can feel down and discouraged, and Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sickness either way. Your feeling has no bearing on it whatsoever. So every time you're tempted, just like I'm tempted, to feel the bad and get down in the dumps, Oh, what are we going to do? Ask yourself, how does what I feel change God's word any? And the answer is always the same. It never changes God's word. So the question is this. Are you doing your part to keep the pressure on the devil so that he can't hold out? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about a works thing. Because I see a lot of people trying to put together lists. Oh, they've got confession lists that are longer than your leg. Oh, I've got to confess this every day. I've got to say it every day. Listen, the Bible says we which have believed do enter into rest. Faith is supposed, it's a fight, but it's supposed to be a resting fight. It's not a matter of how many times I say it. It's a matter of saying it from my heart. Now, because I do believe it, I say it continually. Whenever I think about it, I say, I confess the word of God concerning healing over my body. And I'm telling you that whether or not I see results in my body or I don't see results in my body, the word of God is true and it's working. And that's what you have to remind yourself. It's not working when you see it work. It's working because God said it works. That's why we're to hold fast the profession of our faith. The holding fast, the idea of holding fast indicates or at least implies that something's trying to rip it out of your hands. If I gave you something and said, hold tight, hold on to this as tight as you can, you would understand that there's some force, whether it's me, whether we're playing a game or whatever it is, you would understand that there's some force that's implied that's going to try to take it out of your hands. So you need to hold on to it strong, right? That's exactly what Jesus said about the profession of faith. Hold fast the profession of your faith. That's what the devil's trying to get you to turn loose of. Because if he can get you to turn loose your profession of faith, then you're allowing whatever he's trying to do. And that's the only way he can prevail. That's the only way he can prevail. The only way. Now, it's a wonderful thing when you start seeing things change in your body. Oh, hallelujah. The glory clouds come out. It's a wonderful thing. But you've got to be careful about that too. Because if you have a good day and things look like they're better than they were yesterday, does that change the word? Not a bit. You've got to be careful that you don't put faith in your feelings even when they're good feelings. Any more than you put faith in bad feelings. Because feelings don't change God's word. The word's true whether you ever have a good feeling ever again. The word's true whether you feel good today or good tomorrow or bad today and bad tomorrow. The word of God doesn't change. And if you hold on to the word without wavering, if you refuse to give up on the word because the word's true, sickness can't hold out against you. Whether you feel like this is true or not, let me tell you what's true. What's true is you've got everything you need to overcome sickness within you now. All you have to do is keep the pressure up. And you keep pressure on simply by believing. 
I don't care how I feel. I don't care what it looks like. don't care what the doctor says. God's word is true. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. You get to the point where it's not making a confession to see something happen. You get to the point where that's just your answer when the devil tries to say it's not working. That's where you just laugh and say, oh, you silly fool. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed and you can't hold out against me. It just becomes that. And then he leaves you alone. Because he doesn't want to keep hearing that. We which I believe do enter into rest. That's the rest of faith. It's not some struggle. It's not some hard thing. It's accepting the word of God to be true. It's saying, I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. And the Bible says he's your healer. Well, but he doesn't feel like my healer today, Pastor Mike. That's why it's important to believe that he is. Yeah, but does that mean things are going to change tomorrow? Well, some tomorrow they will. I don't know if it will literally be tomorrow, 12 hours from now. But there will be a day where it changes because sickness can't hold out. The question is, can you hold out? You know, in, in Hebrews, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, where it says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What do you think that means? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So many Christians seem to have the attitude, whether they visualize it or not, Oh, I'm trying to be strong. Pastor Mike, I'm trying to be strong. Don't say a word about you being strong other than in him. Being strong is not talking about you being strong in yourself. It means to accept the Bible to be true in what it says about Jesus. Be strong in him to accept that he is who the Bible says that he is. That's what being strong in the Lord is. In this case, concerning healing, it's accepting Jesus to be your healer. Be strong in Jesus being your healer. In the power that comes from confessing the word. That's what being strong in the Lord is. The Bible doesn't say one word about you being strong in yourself. Oh, Pastor Mike, I'm trying to be strong. I'm trying so hard to be strong. Well, quit trying to be strong. Accept the word to be true. That is being strong. And upon this rock I shall build my church, Jesus said. Upon the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, I shall build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what I've started visualizing? I've started visualizing in not only where healing is concerned, but in other areas as well. I've started visualizing the gates of hell straining and creaking and and bowing out. And I'm on the other side just pushing away with the word. That's a whole lot better picture than feeling like the devil is some great army chasing after you and you're running around trying to keep away from him. So many times people want to tell you how bad it's been this week. Oh, I've had such a terrible week. The devil's been after me all week. Turn that around. The devil's had a really bad week with me. He's struggling to keep those gates closed, but they are on their last leg. That's a picture Jesus paints. And I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you allow or loose here on the earth. God will back you up on that too. You prohibit sickness in your body. God will back you up. You allow it. God says, okay, your choice. I don't know about you, but I've refused to allow sickness in my flesh. No matter what you see, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what anybody says, I refuse to accept sickness because Jesus paid the price for my healing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that we are the church of the living God. And we have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we exercise authority to refuse to allow sickness into our bodies. And we thank you, Father, that all of heaven backs us up. Thank you, Father, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The devil and any of his works cannot prevail, cannot hold out against us. Sickness cannot hold out against us because we take authority in the name of Jesus. We refuse forever again to allow sickness to dwell in our bodies. It may attack, it may come, but it can't stay. In Jesus' precious name. Oh, Father, it's so good to know your word's true. So good to know you, Lord, as our healer. So good to know that we've got a power working in us.
that's greater than sickness. It's greater than lack. It's greater than any of the work of the devil. Because you've given us authority over all the devil's power. It's greater than any medical diagnosis. It's greater than anything. And it will change all of those things. As we hold fast to that which is true. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't give up, folks. Don't ever give up. The devil can't win if you don't give up. Don't give up. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.